0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Show. I am one of your hosts, Mike Mills, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, the great Brian Last. Brian, how are you doing this week?
1: Aloha, Mike. I'm doing okay, and we'll see if I feel the same way after this episode, because this is going to be a little bit of a different pace, a little bit of a different feeling than the previous episodes we've been discussing the last several weeks, the last several episodes, because Bill Watts isn't here and almost nothing happens.
0: Bill Watts isn't here, and I'm not trying to give away anything, but it is literally kind of an episode where you almost feel like they were buying just a little bit of time to get to the next week. Now, there are some things that happen in the beginning that are interesting, but you're right. There's something that I'm going to point out at the very end of the episode where it is apparent that... It's somewhat been mailed in by the time we get to the end, and I think I'll leave it at that until we get there. But you're right. There's not much happening here. Bill Watts is – Bill Watts is gone, and, you know, I've heard people say – only a few, not many – but I hear people say all the time, oh, Watts wasn't that good on commentary. Well, a show like this I think helps you to appreciate – Watts on commentary what do you think about that statement
1: that's 100 right this is the first time we haven't had him on commentary since oh man was it week three or week four of our run here mike i'm not sure but early on he's been there every week to the point where we barely hear boyd pierce and he's not here this week and it so changes the entire feeling of the show the pacing of the show it makes everything not as must listen As it is, you find yourself into even the stuff that isn't great on Mid-South Wrestling and Bill Watts is talking through the entire match, but you don't get that here. In fact, you even get points where there's complete silence, so you don't hear that. And the other interesting thing is, I think the last time Bill Watts left was an episode we did several weeks back where... He left in the middle of the show. He said he had to fly down to Dallas, and then he started going off about the uh, <laughs> about the <laughs> who was it? It was about the um the
0: uh, meat, He had the he had, to, he had the air traffic someone, controllers. He started oh, going yeah, off yeah. about the air
1: traffic controllers, yeah. and then he left. Coincidentally, I think in a similar scenario, this taping right here, I believe this would be the last hour of the television taping that comprised the previous two episodes. I believe so. This is the end yes. of the night, which we'll get into by the end of the show, but. It's interesting that the last taping on each television taping, the last show that's taped, Bill Watts either leaves halfway or just isn't there.
0: Yeah, you can, and you can, it is very apparent by the end of this, you can tell that this is the end of a taping.
1: Okay, you know what, forget it. it. We can't keep, we're not going to keep teasing this. Let's talk about it. (laughs) I've never seen the bleachers in the Irish McNeil Boys Club as empty as they were for the match between Ron Cheatham (laughs) and
0: Frank Monty. There was no one there. You could see through it to the wall. There was no one in the bleachers. Beyond, I guess, the second row on the floor where the chairs are, there is no one in the bleachers. It is like an empty, like you said, imagine walking to a gym, walking into a gymnasium, looking at some bleachers and being able to see all the way through them because there's just a wall back there and you can see the wall clear as day. There we go. We, we put it out there. It happened. Frank Monty and Ron Cheatham couldn't keep him in the house. It is so
1: like, interesting because the first few rows, all the regulars are still there. Cowboy yeah. hat man with his cigarette, the old man, he's there. The weird-looking lady in the middle, the old lady, she's there. The teenagers to the left, they're there, or maybe it's to the right. Depends on the right, which direction the right. you're looking at. To the right, I guess it would be from our yeah. perspective. They're all there, but no one is in the bleachers, and it's just so weird. And again, you're picturing, okay... Bill Watts is there. All right, what's left? All right, we got to do a recap, and we have a few matches, standby matches, and then we're going to end with Ron Cheatham versus Frank Monty. All right, I'm going to head back to Bixby. Uh, you know, Boyd, <laughs> Boyd, you and Ernie are in charge. I'll see you later.
0: Yeah, I'll see you at the next tape, and uh, give me a call. Leave a voicemail on my phone in Bixby if uh, if you need me, and I'll get it when I get there. Since we were, uh, this is an era before the cell phones. Yeah. And again, this was a
1: very busy time for Mid-South Wrestling, because this is right when they absorb Leroy McGurk's Tri-State Wrestling. So now that's when Oklahoma and Arkansas are merged with Louisiana and Mississippi, and of course, Houston ends up being part of that triangle, I guess, as it were, uh, shortly after this as well. So there is a lot going on, and you know they tease what's coming up next week, which is obvious that it's the first taping from the new television taping, but. All right, well, we're going to get to the end eventually. Let's start with this show, Mike.
0: Yeah, so we jump into the, the beginning of the show, and uh, let's, I think we got a soundbite from Boyd Pierce as he runs down the lineup, and then we get Skandar Akbar chiming in before they go to a review of last week and what happened.
1: Well, he's sitting at the with Akbar. I actually thought, okay, this is kind of what they did before Watts was doing it on all the episodes we watched. One of the top stars in the territory sits there. And in this case, Boyd's going to do commentary for the whole show with Skandar Akbar. But no, it's just Akbar's there to do his thing, and then it's Boyd on his own. So uh, let's go to this audio right now.
2: Hello, wrestling fans. Welcome to mid southwesting Television Network. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we have another outstanding card. Ryan Blair in the ring against Paul Arndorf, the Louisiana Heavyweight Championship on the line, as the Junkyard Dog defends his coveted title against the former holder, Bob Roop. You'll see Ted DiBiase and Mr. Olympia join forces in tag team action, and Alpha and Sika, the new... Mid-South Tag Team Champions, and they're managed by the controversial new manager, General Skandar Akbar, and to me, after last week, it looks like he's taken over the management of a tag team like the Samoan Warriors off in like the old-time gangsters in Chicago, took over by eliminating the present managers.
3: Boyd Pierce, I was invited at this desk for my views and comments not to be insulted. I am not a gangster. I'm General Skandar Akbar. I consider myself one of the all-time greats of professional wrestling. I know that Ernie Ladd was directly responsible for the disappearance of the Iron Sheep of the Mid-South area.
2: Let's go back then to last week whenever we saw what happened when Ernie Ladd interrupted Bill Watts and myself here at the television table. Let's watch it right now.
1: Okay, first of all, I I never thought of this just because I so associate Akbar with managing even though I know he was a wrestler for years and in fact he wrestled even after this. But when they said new manager Skandar Akbar that was like, oh that's interesting. I never think of Akbar as being a brand new manager. I always think of him as always being a manager.
0: See, I'm the same way. I because my only recollection of of Akbar is in that manager role since that's, you know, right around the time when I started watching was 81 when he's in the territory so i agree i never to me i guess it's because the time and the place that you start watching it you never envision him as a new manager you always re- he was just general skandar akbar the manager and that was that so yeah i agree with you there there's no way
1: watts didn't tell him verbatim word for word to say that it's kind of like it's chicago and the gangster it, ju- it just sounded like bill watts saying it even though it was boyd pierce's words
0: yeah, I can see that. Almost kind of like today when you hear the WWE commentator say something, you're like, well, that was fed from Vince McMahon into the earphones for that, for Michael Cole to spit it out. So, yeah I, could, yeah, I could see that.
1: What they do here is recap last week. Ernie Ladd at the desk yelling at Boyd Pierce. Bill Watson interrupts and says, hey, Skandar Akbar's in the ring with your guys. Ladd doesn't know what's going on, goes in there. The Samoans and Skandar Akbar destroy Ernie Ladd because the one-man gang makes his debut he comes in there jumps off the rope onto Ernie's knees taking at his legs and there it is Akbar is now the manager of the Samoan Warriors not the wild Samoans here they're the Samoan Warriors in mid-south wrestling and of course the one-man gang who has yet to be named
0: yet to be named and I'll repeat what I've what I've said before this was like a big moment to me because the way they played this with Watts walking in, you know, just questioning, "Hey, I, I thought you, I thought you spoke for the Samoans. Uh, what, what you, what, uh, what's going on in the ring?" And and Lad looks like confused, like, "Wait a minute! Oh, nobody managed them Samoans but me, you know." That's pretty good.
1: And he says it in such an interesting way. Nobody yeah. manages
0: the Samoans. Oh you know, <laughs> <you know. laughs> nobody speaks for them Samoans but me. But uh, me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and lad hits to the ring gets jumped one man gang comes in and destroys his knee I can watch I've, I've watched it a million times it seems and it never gets old to me
1: coming out of that flashback Akbar still at the desk talks a little bit about his problems with Ernie Lad, and of course the mysterious man who we know is the one man gang who attacked Ernie Ladd
2: Skander Akbar last week right here on Mid-South Wrestling Television you yourself refuse to name the name of that huge ruffian that burst upon the scene and brought all the damage. I'm wondering if you'll tell us right now who this man is.
3: No way. It's none of your business, none of Mid-South's business, until I am completely ready to disclose his identity. Okay. I can tell you one thing, Boyd. I'll interrupt one time. This man is a one-man wrecking crew, 6'6 six, six, and 455 pounds.
2: You won't tell us who he is, so I'm going to tell you that you and your Samoans how the Mid-South title around your grasp and around their waist. But I'm going to tell you and the fans know just exactly what I'm talking about because we tell it like it is. In my heart, I have to know and realize that you operate on a low level, and that's the only reason that you were able to gain a victory. It looks like you'll do it at any cost, and we're going to show what happened right now.
1: And then, of course, they show last week's tag title match, Mike.
2: Yeah, I got a
0: question, Brian. When Boyd Pierce puffs his chest out right there and tells Akbar he's low down, uh, did you have a re- any reaction at all to that? When he, when he, because <laughs> I thought that was like so awesome. Boyd was like feeling himself or something. He's like. Let me tell you something, you don't want to say what's going on and who this one man wrecking crew is since that's Akbar still didn't say one man gang notice right there, but boy boy puffs his chest out is I'm gonna tell you like it is that's low down or 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 uh low class or whatever the word he chose. I know he didn't say low low down, but that's what he was insinuating. I should say,
1: yeah, I like that. I like that boy can fire up a little bit at the heels, and there really is no fire up back i mean watts you know that's one of the things i actually recently talked about this with kevin Sullivan on the super podcast watts was told by eddie graham don't have the heel wrestlers insult or take away the credibility of your commentator because that's the voice of reason on your program and we've seen it here because we've seen now boyd interact with ernie ladd and with i believe paul orndorff and we have seen interact now with akbar and it's the same thing they're angry they're upset they're upset at their opponent or maybe even the overall organization but Boyd is that moderator, that narrator in the middle.
0: Yeah, and and you're right. They did that with uh, was it Lad or someone else, or even may Akbar. Where Boyd's like, look, uh, you you don't take this up with me. I'm not the matchmaker. You got to see matchmaker Grizzly Smith. And it wasn't that Boyd was being aggressive. He was just being assertive. And you see that there. So to the point you just made about Sullivan, that's a uh, that's 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 real true. Now you talked about they throw us to the tag match, so we see the recap of the dog and George when they lost the belts. And I mean, it was what it was. Uh, I still think that was a, God, that was a really good match to watch on TV. Did you have anything else from that? Because then Akbar, to me, this was a good, gr- the next thing that happens is a great moment in the show.
1: You know, I guess just watching it back. Cause I know we talked about the match last week, watching it back. It really was impressive to me. Just the, the complexity of the finish, even if you don't realize it, because there's a lot going on. Alfred Neely gets hit by someone's legs, flies out of the ring. The Samoans are going at it with JYD. The chair gets involved. And then JYD and one of the Samoans take a fall to the floor, right in time for Mike George to get back in the ring, take the Samoan drop, and land perfectly on the steel chair. Again, it doesn't seem overly complex, but it really is. There were so many moving parts, and everything was hit perfect.
0: Yeah, it goes to show you don't you don't need to do fifty million things to have a an elaborate finish in a match. But that was that was pretty elaborate for its day, which really made it what was what was so great back then. Well, coming
1: out of that finish, we go back to the desk one more time with General Skandar Akbar and Boyd
3: Bruce. When a general sees his objective, he goes after it. And I can say now that the general's army is intact, the great Samoan Warriors and. Let's not forget the one-man wrecking crew, 6'6", six, six, 455 pounds, and you'll be hearing a lot from the general in his army in Mid-South. When somebody comes into your backyard and steals, you retaliate, and that's exactly what I did.
2: You still won't tell us who it is, but I'm going to tell you that fire, chairs, and injuries last week in a span of just a few moments we saw Ernie Ladd and Mike George both injured unable to wrestle and make a living to support their families and I guess General Skandar Akbar inside your heart it makes you really proud
3: very very proud as I've said before and I do not like to repeat myself Boyd Pierce when a general sees his objective he goes after it and the army now
2: is intact, believe me. We won't ask you to repeat that, but we'll be back with live action after this word from Mid South Wrestling Television Network.
1: All right. I don't know. How, how do we sum that up now, Mike?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, here's what I had from it. You know, he he's basically putting everybody on notice. His his army is intact. He's got the Samoans. He's got the the one man wrecking crew. Um, He's he's also insinuating and and leading you on to believe he feels that the Iron Sheik was stolen, and this is his way of getting back at the promotion. Whether you want to say that's you know Bill Watts or whoever. He, well, no, but he's saying is,
1: he's saying that Ernie Ladd is responsible for the Iron Sheik not being there.
0: Oh well, no. I didn't probably put that great, but he, he basically feels like Sheik was stolen, and and that's why I, I said. Watts. but whether whether it's the promotion's fault or even Lad's fault, this is his way of getting back at, at at basically everyone. So even you're right. I mean, he's kind of saying Ernie Lad did it, and that's why he injured Lad. But now he's 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 got nothing but enemies. He's coming after everybody, and everybody's gonna feel their wrath.
1: That's right, and from there we move on to see the Samoan warriors against the tag team of Bill Ash and Rick Ferrara. And
0: uh, why is this non-title, Brian? <laughs> it's a non-title match because
1: I don't know because it's on television. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, it's it's Let me see. I'll I, I got to be honest. I got to call it like I see it sometimes. Um, yeah. Mid this is one of the things that Mid South did sometimes at... I guess uh, I didn't realize they did it as much as they do, but I'm starting to notice as I rewatch more, they do this a lot. And it's not like Ferrara and Billy Ash are going to win this match. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's non-title. I don't know if it really had to be, but it is what it is. But I I just wanted to ask that just if you had any like rhyme or reason there. Uh, You're right. It's on TV. So I guess that makes a difference. But we've also seen plenty of matches that were on TV where the title was on the line, too. The only thing to say about
1: this is Alfred Neely's the referee and the Samoans pin Rick Ferrara after a Samoan drop. That's it. There's no highlights. There's no Boyd Pierce saying something really great. It's just
0: kind of a run of a mill squash match. Yeah, he wasn't Boyd is not, I don't want to give the impression Boyd is not bad on commentary by himself, but when you come off weeks and weeks of Watts telling stories during these matches like this, where there's not a lot going on, it, you know, it it's it's a little different. It, this is the best way to describe it because you're so used to Watts being a storyteller, explaining everything that you just saw. Like if Watts is in the chair right here next to Boyd, he's he's given further analysis on what Akbar just did, and you don't have that here.
1: Yeah, Watts just finds the smallest thing and jumps on it, even if he has nothing to say about the match, he's still talking about, he'll be like, uh, let's just use uh, Bill Ash and uh, Brian Blair as examples. Like, oh, yeah, Brian Blair really gobbled him up like Pac-Man there. You know, Pac-Man's been selling at all the stores. I'll tell you, right. the stock in that Atari, it's going real high, but I'd be worried about the Japanese coming to the American shores, trying to take our jobs. And, of course, I was talking to my good friend, they head football, co- like, that's how it worked. It just went from one thing right into another.
0: He does that a lot next week. That's what's funny. Oh man. Oh, geez. Yeah, so <laughs> you're right. Well, he actually takes it a little far next week. It's a little teaser out there for everyone. He starts he starts talking about everything under the sun. Uh Oklahoma wrestling, high school wrestling. He's he starts really going down a, a weird path. It's a very strange episode. No, but,
1: it makes yeah. sense. It's the first taping of the television taping. He's got all of his energy.
0: He's ready to go. Because he That's knows he should to be too. taken off
1: before the last one to fly to Dallas yeah, whenever
0: he-, he does got a meeting he's got a the air, air traffic controllers anyway but you're right the Samoans uh defeat Ferrari and Bill Ash rather quickly and then uh we roll from that into Paul Orndorff versus Brian Blair yeah. another barn burner right Brian
1: you know it didn't do it for me and I haven't been crazy about Brian Blair and his run in mid-south as we've talked about ad nauseum here on the show but he is a good worker and him and Paul Orndorff had a pretty good match several weeks back remember the one where he reversed Brian Blair's figure four and injured Brian yeah. Blair's knees. That was a pretty good match. Yeah. For some reason, it just didn't click here. And I think it really all comes back to it being the end of the night, the last television taping, the crowd thinning out the energy going down, but it's just, it's kind of just a match. Like nothing sticks with me about the match. And I just watched it again a few minutes ago.
0: The only thing that I will point out about it is Orndorf doesn't cheat in it. He fought a clean match, Boyd Pierce even at one point mentions that Orndorf is fighting an illegal clean fight here, which was weird. Uh, but other than that, you're right. There's nothing else that stands out. Orndorf wins with a knee drop on the Blair off the second rope, and that's that. That match is done. No, but
1: that's like one of the things with Watts. Watts, even though heels cheat, it was always that why is this guy cheating? He doesn't have to cheat. He's a great athlete. And I think that's what it is. Like Paul Orndorf can beat Brian Blair. Clean wrestling if you wanted to. It just so happens that he's also a dastardly heel who cheats.
0: Right. Especially when he's in there up against someone like JYD or someone who or Ted dibiase someone who's a formidable opponent, and he's gotta cheat because he needs that shortcut to defeat that man. So good point.
1: Uh going from that match to the next one, the next one may be the highlight of the whole show, it's the junkyard dog who is the Louisiana State champion defending the championship against Bob
3: Roop.
0: You know, it's funny when you think about it. So if uh, if I'm a kid watching this on Saturday afternoon, back in New Orleans, and you know it's a slow episode. I know we had the beginning with Akbar, but then you got the Samoans and Ferrara and Ash, and you got Orndorff and Blair. Man, Jyd hits the ring. It makes this whole episode <laughs> worthwhile as you're as a kid. Um, do you ever notice? And it's i'm noticing it a lot more since I watched these in succession j y d hits the ring and he I knew he always had charisma, but he all i i'm laughing now as an adult because he's 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 always going to the ref. Looking like he's complaining about something, but he's not really complaining. He's just like uh, barking orders. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, have you noticed that <laughs> in the in the weeks that have passed? Is it's uh, it's just part of what made him him. You know, he's like now you watch him. I don't know what he's saying, but he's like you better watch him. He's out there. He's out there doing that thing. He's got to got to check his boots, make sure he got nothing in there, in the metal pads and knee pads. I mean, I don't know if that's what he's saying, but in my mind, that's what he's saying.
1: Early junkyard dog had aggression which unfortunately yes. is something that went away. You know, it went away in the WWF, but it. I, I got to go back and watch stuff. It may have gone away a little bit before then, but by the time he gets to the WWF, it's a completely different guy. I love that. It really hit me this week watching it because the crowd was thinning out, but when another one bites the dust started getting played, the crowd jumps to their feet, white, black, male, female, and they start clapping along. They're not popping. Yep. They're into it. They're down with the dog. Yes. And they're clapping along to his entranceway. They're not just like, yeah! No, they want to be a part of the experience. And uh, it's a really cool entrance. And the other thing is, JYD is so slim and cut here. He's jacked. Yeah, man. That he almost looks like a light heavyweight. Because when you see him, you know, a couple of years later, he's gained weight. He almost looks taller. Like, he looks like a shorter, thinner guy here. He, That's almost, the thing. he almost looks like a yeah. light heavyweight when he's caught. I mean, it's really kind of crazy because I know he's not. I know he's like 260 and jacked and like six yeah, mean, or
0: something. We've talked about how 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 great he looks during this time frame. And I was talking to someone on Twitter about this. I don't remember who, but they were like, they were talking about how once he got to WWF, how you know how much weight he had gained, especially towards the latter part of it. And I was like, I was like, um I was like, yeah, and the thing is, he even got bigger you know even after that which was you know sad to see him in that state but he and he he's still man he looks he's going to gain weight about a year and a half from now uh from from this point and you can start to see it coming on him but man right here he's still looking good he's aggressive and that's the thing man he's aggressive but he's still over as that baby face that everyone loves. And you're right. The crowd is dancing. They're clapping along with the song. That song was like perfect for wrestling for a guy like him, you know, where it's got that beat. It's not too fast, not too slow. You're a music guy. I mean, is that making sense to you? I'm not a big music person, but that's how I always felt whenever I heard Another One Bites the Dust.
1: Yeah, it's perfect for him. And, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me from his entrance was there was one fan they showed on camera. It was a white kid. Facial hair, cowboy hat. When I say white kid, maybe in his early twenties, not mm-hmm. the not the person you would think typically would be a JYD fan. And, and you know, I don't want that to come off the wrong way, but I don't know. You wouldn't think that they would be aggressively cheering for JYD, but he's clapping along and he's totally into it. And it's just it's such a unifying force in mid south is JYD.
0: Always say it, man. JYD brought races together back then, man. It it was, there was no, uh, I mean, it was white, black, whatever. He was, he was the man. And I mean, you see it in these tapings.
1: I'm waiting for the old guy with the cowboy hat and a cigarette to react to anything. (laughs) That poor dude. What is he like? What does that guy enjoy about wrestling? I can't figure out why he's there. He just stares at the ring and smokes his cigarette.
0: That's what he likes. He likes staring at the ring and smoking his cigarette. It does. Seriously, that's his fun. He's not the one that's going to clap and go along, but his idea is I'm going to go sit there with my hat on, smoke my cigarette, stare at the ring, watch the wrestling, and, and he had a good time.
1: Do you think they all know each other, all the different old people at ringside?
0: I'm pretty sure at this point they do because we're like, we're like into February now, and we started in December, and it's some of the same people. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and think that the the old people in the front, they know each other. Yeah, at this point, they're they're good friends. Hello,
1: Charlie. Hello, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> I got you know what it's we gotta right. do? We gotta go back and see some of the KTBS footage, any of the footage that remains from the years before this, and see if they're sitting ringside. Because of their age and their dedication to Mid-South, I wonder if they were ringside for all those tapings, too.
0: That's a good question, because I've never—see, I haven't seen a lot of that footage, so and I've never—in the footage I've seen, I've never paid attention to see if they were there. But that's something to go back and look to see if they are.
1: So something weird happens with this match that we've never seen on Mid-South up to this point. They're having a good back-and-forth match. The fans are really into it. They're popping for anything JYD does and the Boyd Pierce just announces, well, we got to go to commercial. We'll keep the cameras rolling. They've never oh. done that in <laughs> any match on Mid-South Wrestling. Not
0: only that, but it's Bob Root versus JYD, Brian. The dog is on TV, and you're going to commercial. What the heck, man? Frank Monty versus Ron Cheatham ended the show. That
1: could have been the commercial. Yeah. But maybe yeah, they did it for a reason, because they come back, and they go to the desk, and it's Boyd who says, well, here's everything you missed during the commercial break, and uh, let's listen to this now. We'll hear a little bit about the ending of this match.
2: Now, Rusty fans, what happened while we were on a commercial break? We're going to show you because, like we told you when we went away, we kept the cameras rolling in case there was a victory or a decision, and we had one. When we left, the challenger, Bob Root, was entwined with his leg between the second and bottom strand of rope. So let's watch right now. We recorded for you. I kept right on doing the commentary, and you'll be able to see it right now, even though it happened while we were on a commercial break. Let's watch it. Bob Roop calling for time on the outside of the ring. Paul Arndorf now coming to the scene to aid his friend. Many times they have come to each other's rescue the past few weeks. Arndorf trying to tell Jack how he wants time, but Alfred Neely is the official referee on the inside of the ring. And the guard dog is demanding that Roop come back into the ring. This is a sanctioned Louisiana heavyweight state title match. That leg. The leg that was hung in the rope between the second and bottom strand. And as I call your attention time and time again, those are not just ropes. They have a steel cable inside them and Root found his leg entwined between them but he's getting the count from the referee and he'll have to come back in or forfeit his chance at the Louisiana title he's back in and Junk guard Dog the champion ready for him the fans are hollering fans on their feet and there's the reason Paul Orndorff back to the ring and he swings for the Junkyard Dog who ducks Bob Roop takes it. The dog. Look at him going with a big thump, And he takes Paul Orndark. Paul Orndark. He's got him. Paul Orndark by the seat and by the neck and throws him on top of his friend. And he came to assist Bob Root. Now there's Bob Orton Jr. entering the practice. And there he goes. The Junkyard Dog. Can he do the same thing? He hurled. Look at him. Wrestling parent, Junkyard Dog, throwing Bob Orton Jr. on top of Paul Orndorff on the outside. And, and you saw him take the ball over Bob Roop and still the Louisiana heavyweight champion, the Junkyard Dog. The Junkyard Dog stopped the jinx at three as far as titles changing hands here on Mid-South Wrestling. Two weeks ago... Mr. Olympia came on the scene and won the Mississippi title from Bob Orton Jr. Last week, General Skandor Akbar, the new controversial manager of the Samoans offense Sika, guided them to a victory in the Mid-South Tag Team title match over the Junkyard Dog and uh, also Mike George. But this week is not to be done. As the streak was stopped, you saw the Junkyard Dog retain his Louisiana title over the challenger and former champion Bob Roop. We'll be back now with more exciting action after this word from Mid-South Wrestling Television Network.
0: That was some good stuff there. The, the thing that I took from that, too, I hated that they went to commercial, Brian, but the thing that was great there was this really made Dog look strong because, I mean, he's got – there's Orndorff out there, Orton Junior's out there. He's going through all this, and yet what happens? He still gets to win, he, and he retains his Louisiana championship. So Cleanly. I, yeah, right, clean. I I so I hated that they went to commercial, but I will say coming back the way they did it, you know, it would have you can tell lots on commentary here would have been better. Even though Boyd Boyd does all right. I mean, it's just that it's not his it's not his uh I don't wanna say expertise, but it's it's just not his strong point. But this was still good, man. It's this, this is this is what I always point to a lot of times when I say, you know, like you don't do 50-50 booking and what what made the territory wrestling was so great was you had your 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 guys who were established and stars. They just didn't take pinfalls on TV weekly, nor did they or did they take a pinfall one week and the next week they they they're getting a pin and next week they're getting pinned. You just didn't have that flip-flopping, man. So I mean, I think Dog took a pin sometime back in December. Here we are in February. We haven't seen him take a pin. So I just thought this was done. He he wins clean while there were, still was interference. So I thought that was really good. I don't know. What did you think?
1: Yeah, it made him really strong. He throws Orndorff on top of rope, And then when Orton comes in and he throws him from the top rope to the floor, you hear the crowd. You hear that woof, you know, that sound yeah. where everyone's. So into it. I mean, that was a pretty revolutionary thing in 1982 was throwing someone from the top row right to the floor. It was a big deal. And then he pins Roop clean with a forearm. Dog looks strong. I feel like it's the first time we've seen Orton in a while, even though I know he's been there. But, you
0: know, it's almost like when he ran
1: out, I forgot he was there.
0: Yeah, was I don't remember last week if he was there or not, but, uh, I mean, he lost, uh, he lost the whatchamacallit belt a few weeks back, but, I, you know, hey, I like this, I like the finish, I like the way they did it, the dog is real strong here as your Louisiana champion, it's just good stuff overall.
1: Well, it's all downhill from here. The next <laughs> match is Ed Wiskowski and Bob Orton Jr. versus the North American champion, Ted DiBiase, and the Mississippi State champion, Mr. Olympia, this is a standby
0: match. Standby match, and you got your North American champion, you got your Mississippi champion. But in my mind, I'm going, look, uh, I had little doubt who the victors would end up being. This match would really needed Watts on commentary to yeah. entertain us at home yeah. was my main note. I, that's, that's really realistic. That's all I have in my notes. Watts needed to be here.
1: Yeah, I mean nothing special in this match. I'm, I haven't been crazy about Ed Wiskowski's run, as everyone knows. Uh, the interesting thing, I guess, is the finish. Olympia has Wiskowski in the sleeper, but DiBiase pins Wiskowski.
0: Just strange. <laughs> I don't. I I wish I'd be able to describe that to you, or the rhyme and the reason. Who knows? Watts isn't there, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what happened? And then following
1: that match, we have the aforementioned Ron Cheatham versus Frank Monty standby match. There's about two minutes left in the show. The crowd has thinned out to the point where there's no one there. You've never (laughs) seen Mid-South Wrestling look emptier than you will at the end of this. I ran out of things to say because in my notes I wrote the word Dran, and I don't even know why. I don't know what that is. I don't know what I was trying to write. I'm looking at this now. What the hell is Dran? I don't know. But they do announce next week. Murdoch and Rhodes will be on TV, so that's the beginning of a new television taping, and of course, two major stars, Dusty Rhodes, who they announced at the beginning of the year, had signed a booking agreement with Mid South Sports, and Dick Murdoch, who had returned on that first taping, but we really haven't seen him since.
0: Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's obviously news. I, I, I had a couple other notes, you know, besides the fact that Dusty and 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 Dick Murdoch will be on next week's episode, uh, Frank Monty. To the point you made, I believe it was last week, maybe the week before, is still decked out in his dull brown gear, uh, you know. And then um, I even had this. You know, we've talked about the bleachers and how completely empty they are. It's just – it's like – oh, it's hard to describe. I mean you'll see it when you watch it on the network. It's like what am I looking at? But anyway – Boyd even feels checked out on this thing, if we're being honest. Like, he's just exhausted from really doing this whole episode on his own, and he's just like, I can't wait for these guys to finish up, man. I'm ready to go home, and uh, I'll call the Cowboy and tell him how things went, but I'm out of this, and I'm brain dead at this point. Boys, let's get out of here. That was my note.
1: You think Frank Monty was like, come on, can I get one win? I'm against Ron (laughs) Cheatham. He hasn't even been on the stupid show. Can I just get a win? I've been losing every week. I've got this nice brown outfit. I got my brown (laughs) suede jacket. Come on. Uh, He goes to a two-minute draw with Ron Cheatham to end this show. And there's no one there to
0: see it. (laughs) I don't know if, like, I hope, (laughs) I need to post this when this show drops. I need to post a screen grab of The audience at this point, when they show that camera shot where there's no one there, it's just like, uh, and can you imagine like Frank Monty and Ron Cheatham? I don't know. I I mean, they were, they got paid obviously, but I'm thinking to themselves, are they out there? Like, man, nobody's even watching this, man. This is, this is, uh, nobody's here. It's over. (laughs) What are we doing out here? Do we really have to fill up, (laughs) you know, fill up these last two minutes of TV time? I guess you do though. So you got advertisers and everything. So they got there and they're wrestling.
1: Well, Mike, we're a little less than 40 minutes into this episode, and we're done with the episode.
0: Shocker. What do we what do? We do? <laughs> it's like, the, this is by far the shortest one. I mean, we're talking probably 15 minutes. I mean, I don't think, you know, I think every one we've done has been at least 55 minutes, over an hour, most of them, but ugh. I don't know, Brian. This was one of those ones. This was – you know what's sad about this episode is if you're someone who's never watched Mid-South and you just happened to click on the February thirteenth, 1982 episode and you watched it, you'd be like, those guys are on something to think that this was an entertaining promotion. That's that's the sad part about this. I mean, you know, they can't all be home runs, right, Brian? Well, you can at least try. <laughs> yeah, you can't. <laughs> You don't just go up there without a bat, right? You you at least hold the bat. You're a baseball guy. Uh, Even if your batting average is terrible, you're still going to try to hit a home run or, or get a hit. I don't know, man. I guess they kind of I, – I think they checked out on this one.
1: Yeah, and I don't even really have too many results from this time period either. Uh, The day before this aired, Friday night in Shreveport at the Municipal Auditorium, I have the matches. I don't have the results. The Dog and Murdoch versus the Samoans, DiBiase versus Roop. Olympia versus Wiskowski, Brian Blair versus Bob Orton Jr., Frank Monty versus Rick Ferreira, and Terry Daniels versus Bill Ash. Hold on. Let me look through the results I have, see how many matches wow. Frank Monty actually got to win, if I could find any. Uh, this is the television taping, so, of course, Ron Cheatham drew with Frank Monty. The television taping happened on February 3rd, so it happened 10 days before this aired. That's interesting. Mm. Short television taping, not, not, you know, four episodes or anything. Uh, Frank Monty, any Frank Monty wins I could find. Nope. <laughs> I mean, this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't everything, but I'm not seeing anything in what I'm looking
0: at. Very strange, man. So, uh, things are going to pick up though. Stick with us here. Except for this Frank Monty. Well, I mean, that's just one of those things. So, but it's funny cause you know, we, you talked about this, uh, I don't remember if it was offline or we were recording last week or whatnot, but it's like uh, you, you this promotion in '82. They're really they're getting things going, but uh, you like were spot checking a few like in '83 and in '84 and '85. You are like, man, it's like the Irish McNeil Boys <laughs> Club was like a literally like a nightclub at one point. It's like people are up and dancing. It's electric in there. The further you get into this thing, going towards '85, man.
1: '84. Once they start bringing in the guys from Memphis, the young guys, the fast moving guys. The guys the girls like. It really changes the whole atmosphere in there. In 1984, it's like a party eventually in the Irish McNeil Boys Club. Plus, there's also more music than has ever been. I mean, even the Midnight Express. And there were some fans clapping along to their entrance too, just because it's so easy to do that. But Rock and Roll Express had theme music, Midnight Express had theme music. Of course, the JYD had theme music eventually. Master G had theme music. I mean, it it was the changing face of wrestling and also the changing face of Mid-South. And it's just night and day from this early 82 to mid 84. It's like two different promotions at times. Master G, man. I
0: remember those. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hate Master G for the record. Uh, I, just, I just think it was impossible to replace the dog.
1: Right. Just... Well, let's talk about that since we have a few minutes to fill up. The replacements for the Junkyard Dog. Now, no one could replace the Junkyard Dog. and One of the biggest mistakes is pretending that even though you lost your biggest African-American star, that you just need an African-American wrestler to replace him. Because the truth was, he wasn't the biggest African-American star. He was the biggest star in right. the promotion. So it's, it's really, it, it, it's, although you want a really good African-American babyface for those people to get behind, you can't look at it as, I need that guy to replace the dog. Because it didn't work. Master G was the first one. He just showed up, and just very casually, they're like, what's your name? Well, They call me Master G. Uh, okay. Seemingly a fan of Rapper's Delight. Of the Master right. G in that song. Are we supposed to believe that Master G is the Master G from the Sugar Hill Gang?
0: I don't think so. <laughs> At least I that's not how I took it. But I, I will tell you this, Brian. I I think people liked him because I didn't have anything against him. Like as far as but I never saw him like trying to say he was the dog replacement was the problem. So like he was I thought actually. And if memory serves me me correctly, the crowd actually took to him. They did some things with him where it wasn't that bad. The problem was he was always going to be compared to the dog because that's how they tried to position him. And that was – the wrong positioning and in fairness any african-american star that you brought in was probably going to be portrayed by the audience that way but i don't think he was like horrible i'm not i'm not saying he was great don't get me wrong i don't want people to take it out of context but i just don't think he was as bad as people think he he was now the master g part i i I never thought that at that time. Um, I can't speak for adults that were, you know, older than me. You got to remember, I'm still fairly young then, but I I never thought that about him. That's where they got the name from. Um, He had no charisma. But even then.
1: I mean, that's what it was. He had no charisma. So even if like, like, yeah, he's a baby face, I'll cheer for him. When you have less charisma than Sonny King, that's a problem.
0: Now, Now, Sonny King, he was the one that I just was like, I can't get into this.
1: And that's the very end of his career. I mean, that's, that's it for Sonny King.
0: Right. But like for him, man, I'll never forget the, like the first time I saw it moments, I was like, what am I watching? I just, like, I thought Master G was, I, I just, I couldn't get down with, I couldn't get down with Sonny King now. Now, um, oh God, what's his name? Brickhouse. I was about to say Brickhouse. Yeah. Now Brickhouse was uh, he again he was different like you couldn't it goes back to the same thing with master g if you're if you're trying to position him and people are comparing to the him to the dog you're it's just not gonna work it's it's just stupid to even have that thought in your mind it's kind of like it's kind of like um who's your favorite mets player brian of all time that you you hold up on a pedestal oh it's
1: hard to pick one but i'll go with keith hernandez
0: okay keith Hernandez. Um is there ever going to be a player that that you feel will hold a candle to what Keith Hernandez did? Or, I mean, it's baseball, so it's a little different because players come and go, but still it's like, it would be like the bulls trying to replace Michael Jordan for the, for now three, you know, infinity. It just, ain't going to happen. There's never going to be another Jordan in my opinion. And so like, I feel like, it was the same way. Maybe, maybe has anyone ever replaced Keith Hernandez in your mind?
1: No, but it began, it's a different thing. And also beyond being the player and the amazing defensive player, he was, he was also a leader on the team. It was like having a manager at first base. He had more mound visits than the pitching coach. Uh, so right. it's a little different, but with the JYD, I mean, the thing is they kept bringing in people. That's how you knew was trying to, they were trying to make right. JYD replacements because right. they brought in Master G. And they brought in Brickhouse. They brought in the Iceman. But really, the only candidate to be the African-American top babyface at that time, and I hate to look at it that way, but it's really Butch Reed because he was already there. You just had to turn him. Yeah. As opposed to bringing will- in someone new where it's like, oh, they're just trying to get a new African-American wrestler to place the dog. With Butch, it's, oh, he turned babyface.
0: Yeah, and I will say this. I think Butch's promos got better because if you watch Butch in in early mid South, his promos are not good. You're they're, they're You'll laugh as you watch him back now. Like at least I did. Some of them I laugh and I cringe. But Butch's promos got better, and he got he got better, and he was really good. Now I will say I, I've I firmly believe this, and I've been told I'm crazy by other wrestling fans. Uh, since I was someone who actually got to see World Class, I always felt that if they would have committed. To or if they could they couldn't commit to him because he was in world class, but I thought Iceman could have di- could have got the job done and it's only because I saw what he did in world class with his charisma, and I think Iceman would have been better than a master G would have been better than a brick house um maybe not butch, like you said, the butch was a little bit of a different butch was different because he was already there, so you're right, all you had to do was turn him. And people would have people would have loved them just based on that. So I I agree. Plus plus they did the angles with Butch where um uh you know where Butch you know painted him and I just so there was there was like the history there where Butch would have fit in more to that role. But even then, you're just not going to replace him. He was like a once in a lifetime talent for the territory. And I just don't. I've heard. I think I've heard uh, Jeff Baldwin talk about it. I just don't think you could uh, – I don't know if there's anyone that could ever replace him. He was like Michael Jordan in that territory. You're never going to find anyone that's going to come behind him, and they're going to go, yeah, he's the one. We're going to get behind him like we got behind JYD. It wasn't going to happen. And then to the point you make too, it, the, it's just a false mindset to have to feel like you have to replace the African-American star. You got to find y- your next star. You got to find that person who's going to get over like JYD did. And the thing was, DiBiase was, but how, Brian, you know, DiBiase was was there and gone. How many times from this point to 85? A lot. And of course he
1: eventually became a heel, which was his better role. The only person, I mean, Hacksaw, Duggan, obviously became a bigger star after JYD left, but he was already on that path. True. You you bring up something interesting with Iceman. See, Iceman would have worked, I mean, again, no one would have worked exactly the same, but I think he would have worked well because of, one, every time he came in as a special attraction on TV, it happened a few times, he got a big pop. And that's the important thing, that people knew who he was. So you weren't bringing in someone brand new, like Master G, who no one had ever heard of, or the Iceman, right. who no one had ever heard of. You're bringing in someone who people have seen on the Dallas TV as a star. Because if you and were you- on that Dallas TV, the way it looked in 1983, you looked like a star in 1984. It was the best-looking wrestling that- television show on the planet. So if you bring Iceman in there, I think he could have worked. The other one I always thought, because I thought he unfortunately left too quick to go to the WWF in 86. I mean, for him it was a good timing, but for a wrestling fan, I would have loved to have seen him more. Coco Ware, I thought, had a lot of potential to be the most popular of the African-American babyfaces post-dog.
0: Yeah, you're on to something there, because I remember... Coco and uh, Norville Austin coming in uh, as the PYTs in Mid South. They would, you know, because during the whole time, like you were saying, where they would bring in some of the Memphis talent, and they, I mean, they didn't stay long, obviously, but they would come in, and I, I think there were there might have been something there with Coco. My, th- I remember back. he came I, back
1: though. He was the Birdman in the beginning of '86.
0: Well, yeah, well, in UWF, right? Um, well, technically. It was like March before it became UWF. Uh, I've had that argument with people online. They go, no, it was UWF in January. <laughs> no, it wasn't. They didn't actually. I think it happened actually in April of 86. A lot of people don't realize that. I got into an argument with some guy online one time. I was like, dude, trust me on this. I grew up in the territory. Believe me, I know this. But um, uh, go back to what, what I was saying about um, you're right about Coco. That's right. He came in there uh, singles then. The thing about Iceman, and I'll say this, you got to remember, A lot of us in that territory also got world class. So not only were we familiar with Ice from from him coming in to the territory, but we would see him on that world class TV as well. The other part is Iceman, in my opinion, had charisma that was an equivalent to JYD. But he had great charisma. He had more charisma than Master G for sure. Um, and that was like the thing that I always think in my mind when I think about if you're going to replace JYD, which you can't do anyway. I thought that's what, where Iceman would have fit because I saw his charisma on world-class television. That, that's pretty much my last point on it. Though. And you know what? But, I'm,
1: I'm so stupid because as you're saying that I realize I've been making a faux pas for the last several minutes. I said the Iceman before when I meant the Snowman. I mean, when we're talking about Iceman Parsons in world class, oh, I'm talking Iceman. Yeah. But when we were talking about replacements that they brought in, I said Iceman, but I actually meant the Snowman at the beginning of 1985. Forgive me, I had a brain cramp there, but again, another, no, no, cool. another guy they brought in tried everything with. I mean, it put fucking Muhammad Ali with him.
0: And it just they didn't... gave him the and they gave him the the television title. He was um God, who did he beat? I can't remember, but uh, he was television champ. He had the medallion at one point in time. Um, and I didn't hate. Let me. He's another. Let me tell you, another guy, Snowman. I I didn't hate him. I didn't like think this guy's garbage. But they put the microphone in front of him one time. I'll never forget when they brought him in, and I think he had either was was gonna win the. Either he won the title, either this is when he won the title, or right before. And I was like, nah. Because, see, we got so used to not only JYD doing the thump and growling and barking and who that say they're going to beat that dog. JYD would cut those local promos, and you'd be like, I need to get to th- – I was just a poor kid in New Orleans. But if, I, if, I, if we'd have had some disposable income, I was like, Mama, you got to bring me to the municipal. I got to see this match. That was the effect JYD had that I didn't see in Master G. I never saw in the snowman. I never saw in, in you know, Master G. It just, I didn't see it with those other guys. I, I could see that with Iceman, King Parsons, but I, I never saw it with the other guys.
1: Did they ever explain why his name was the snowman? Why is he named like a drug kingpin?
0: Man, I have no idea. That's right. Why the hell?
1: Why is he the snowman?
0: I don't know, Brian. That's a good one. They
1: call me the snowman (laughs) on the corner. Like, what the (laughs) fuck? Why is he the snowman?
0: I don't know, man. You got me there. The snowman. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know. That's the other thing. JYD had
1: the name, the Junkyard Dog. It was it's one of the iconic wrestling names of all time. You replaced junkyard dog. Forget about the wrestlers, just the names with Master G and the
0: Snowman. JYD, you know how JYD was the perfect storm? He, he had that name just for some reason rings just greatness. He had the charisma and he could cut promos. He just was like the perfect thing. For that territory, and then especially in the city New or- of New Orleans, which I don't know the demographics back then as well as I know them now, but I know it was majority African American. So he was like the perfect person and wrestler for that territory during that time. He just had it all. And all those other guys we've talked about, with the exception of Iceman King Parsons, who could promo and had charisma, they didn't have all nor nor a name. Nor like that good name because like you said the snowman what what is that and that's no disrespect to him master g i mean is this a rap group i mean whatever so you they didn't have the they may have had bits and pieces but they weren't even close to having that whole package that jyd had which is why you're never going to replace him and then it goes back to the point you made you not only had to replace him you needed the star you needed a star for your territory right you know who could replace jyd hulk
1: hogan and I know that right. sounds like an extreme example, but I- I'm serious. Like that level for that, like Kerry Von Eric, possibly like it was that level it, at that time. And specifically targeted to that territory. JYD was Hulk Hogan level.
0: You, that's the level of star you need. And I know people, people like are going to go, oh, these guys are nuts. They're, they're crazy saying that, but no, that's what he was to the territory. I mean, look, I think I've heard either you or Bick say it before when JYD was in WWF. Uh, was it, Someone said, I mean, there was a time period where he was the second baby face on that roster.
1: Oh, I've said it, and it's true. From the time he got there until around WrestleMania, at least, so that's the beginning of 85, March of 85, he was the number two baby face Hogan. And he was super go. over and people were going nuts and they were protecting him too. Cause they also had him in a lot of tag team matches, him and Sergeant Slaughter, him and Tito Santana. So they protected the dog and he was on TV all the time. He may have been on TV more than any other wrestler in the company from like 84 to 85. Like, so I there you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not crazy when you make the statement of him, you were trying to replace Hulk Hogan. I mean, you, that's pretty much what you were doing in that territory at that time. And the thing
1: about Butch is they
0: showed clips of everything
1: Butch had done to the dog. So it was like Butch ran the dog off was the way they were saying it. It wasn't, oh, he's decided to go to the WWF. It was, he's decided to go fight lesser competition because Butch Reed ran him off by tar and feathering him, by painting him yellow, by beating him. And, you know, they went with Butch as a heel a little bit longer before they did the big turn with Akbar and Buddy Landell. But Butch was the one guy they had who at least I think could have made that transition easier than just going with like strangers with no charisma, like master G.
0: Yeah. You make a fair point there again with Butch because he was already there. It's a matter of turning him. Plus he had the history of what he did to the dog. And then we're going to, we're going to get into this once we uh, once we reach that point, but you're right, man. Uh, Watts and company, were pretty brutal towards uh the way they would speak about the dog uh, leaving around that time. And not only just the dog but just WWF in general. They they had some choice words on TV uh, to to say about uh what was going on with Vince during that time, but Butch Butch is probably within the territory already. Butch is your Butch is your replacement. But again, nobody's going to replace him completely. It's just not going to happen.
1: And with that, I think we've successfully gotten to about 55 minutes or so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was a good discussion, though, man. I mean, that's like a – dude, that's like a critical point, like, in wrestling history to me for for the it territory, is. at least for sure. I mean, because, man, I, wouldn't, I I just remember him leaving and popping up on WWF. I'm like, man, dog left, mid-south. It's kind of like crushing on a way. I mean, I guess it was – good for i mean obviously it was good for wwf but as a fan of mid-south you're like hmm, that one hurts
1: And that's why it happened that's why vince yeah. wanted him because vince wanted yeah. to go there and run and he ended up not really being that successful running against watts in mid-south but that was his plan get the top baby face get the top heel in every territory that you can't buy and that's what he did
0: yeah so you're right. I think, we, I think we, that was a critical point, but I think, we, uh, I think we got to the point we needed to at this show, though.
1: Well, at this point, Mike, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you and booking the territory and how they could stay in touch with you and that fine program.
0: Oh, please check us out. Just go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod. Uh, as of uh, this recording, we drop new shows every single Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is more of a NWA WCW Saturday night flavor with a couple of other topics. Sometimes we do our top fives. We do something called our promos of the week. Uh, we have a real good time, spirited discussions, lots of uh, debates, and and, and just, a, just an all-around fun time. And then on Sundays – is the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Recap Show, where we go through each and every week of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It's a really, really fun ride going through Jim Cornette's great promotion. Lots of great angles, lots of great stuff uh, from start to finish, man. Such a fun territory to cover, and an underrated one, uh, in my opinion. Now, our audience might not feel that way, but I feel that way for sure. Again, it's tinyurl.com slash B-T-T. Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mike504 Saints. The show is at BTT underscore podcast. And then we're on Facebook, facebook Facebook.com slash booking the territory. Check us out. Come have fun with us twice a week as we uh take trips down memory lane from not only the 80s, but the uh, early 90s with Smoky Mountain Wrestling.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605 Pod. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcasts. You can listen to the 605 Super Podcast each and every week at 605pod.com. Also available at iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. Wherever it is you find your favorite podcast, find the 605 Super Podcast. On Facebook, facebook.com slash superpodcast. This show is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!